Thank you, Carol. That was beautiful. We have some really musical families in our church, don't we? The Dickersons, but uh, Joyce Bird is our guest organist today, and Nate Burbanks at his former church. I don't know. I mean, you guys, you have Russell, and he's a country music star, but uh, they, when they get together at Joyce's house for, for family meals, they sing the prayer in a round. Is that right, Joyce? I can't see you. Are you there? Yeah. In a round. Yeah. So her daughter Vicky sings in our choir and, and son in love of Mark and, uh, and her other daughter uh, Becky was in my last church and I had the pleasure of having five of uh, her grandchildren in my youth group. Just fantastic musical family. It's just incredible. The, the girls sang in youth worship a couple weeks ago when Trey preached. Uh, Maddie and Maggie, the twins that helped lead. Uh, it's just incredible to have. It's like the Von Trapp family over here. <laughs> We're starting a new series today during this season of Lent, and it's called Brave Hearts, and we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm not preaching next week because we have the, the conference, which I hope you all have made reservations. Today's the absolute last day to do that, so I hope you've gotten those in. Um, and next week, Larry Taunton is going to be with us in worship on Sunday morning. You don't want to miss that. It'll be a very special service. But we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy during Lent. And if that freaks you out a little bit because we've been in Leviticus and Numbers now for the last month in our daily readings and it's been pretty brutal, take heart, okay? I think you're going to like Deuteronomy. It's a little different from Leviticus and Numbers. And what we're going to be doing for this series is I'm going to take these passages from Deuteronomy that deal with our hearts. Every passage that we'll look at on Sundays has something to do with our inner being. Because God is deeply concerned about our hearts. From our hearts spring forth our thoughts and our words and our actions and ultimately our character and our destiny, right, are tied to our inner being. God is concerned deeply about our hearts, but there's also something in these passages about fear as well. I think there's fear that, that prevents our hearts from becoming the kind of fertile soil for God's word to be planted in and take root and bear rich fruit in our lives because of fear. So every passage that we look at in Deuteronomy is going to be about making our hearts brave so that we can have the kind of hearts that God desires for us to have. And in order to do that, we must not fear. So for those of you that missed our Ash Wednesday service on, on Wednesday this week, it was really a, a powerful time of reflection and repentance and, and confession as we looked inwardly at ourselves and saw how short we've fallen of God's standard of glory, not so that we can beat ourselves up and feel bad, but so that we could feel more deeply the amazing grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ and that we, though we were more sinful and fallen than we could have possibly thought before, we were also more loved and accepted and forgiven in Jesus Christ than we could have possibly hoped. So it was a beautiful service, and I was really impressed with the turnout and just how many people came forward for ashes. Uh, Dewey Dunn was the first one up here, and he said, I've been waiting for this all day. <laughs> I was so excited to see the, the reaction and the feedback. And I got one email from a thoughtful church member who who said, this prayer welled up in me as I sat quietly. May I be convicted to contrition, resolved to obedience, and inspired to serve. Isn't that beautiful? May that be our prayer throughout these six weeks of Lent as we prepare for Easter Sunday coming up April 16th. May we all be convicted to contrition, resolved to obedience, and then inspired to serve. 
I know a lot of you, like I said, have been struggling with these Old Testament passages that are, some of them are kind of obscure and gross. You got a lot of bodily fluids and things going on in Leviticus and, and, and then in Numbers, all the, the different genealogies. But I, I, Deuteronomy is truly one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, if not my absolute favorite. I think it's a highly relevant book, not only for us in, as individuals, wherever you may be in your life's context, but I think it's also highly relevant to Woodmont Baptist Church, where we are corporately right now in our church's history. I was, I was telling Bruce Bennett, he was in my office earlier this morning, I said, I'm so excited about this sermon. I, I picked, this, picked this text a while back and I didn't even make the connection until I read this in uh, a commentary by Peter Craigie. This is from the preface of his commentary on Deuteronomy. He says this, Deuteronomy is a book about a community being prepared for a new life. Hardship and the wilderness lie behind. The promised land lies ahead. I told Bruce that. He said, I got chills. <laughs> but in the present moment, Craigie says, there is a call for a new commitment to God and for a fresh understanding of the nature of the community of God's people. Isn't that powerful? I think it's really applicable for us today, isn't it? Are we being prepared for a new life here at Woodmont in, during this new season? I hope so. Have we as a church had hardship and, and wandering in the wilderness in the past? Of course, all churches have. And I'm not saying I'm going to be the one to like lead us into this promised land or that others haven't done that in the past. All I'm saying is that we stand at a crossroads now. We have an opportunity before us as a church where we stand opposite the promised land. Will we go into it or won't we? That's the question before us today. Do we earnestly desire to go into what God has prepared for Woodmont in the next chapter together? In order to do that, Deuteronomy says that we must heed the call for a, a new kind of radical commitment to God and through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we can come to fully understand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, of the community of the people of faith. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. In our Ash Wednesday service, we talked some about how the Bible is, is mostly written to communities. We tend to read it individually a lot of times, but mostly it's addressed to bodies of believers and different people, groups. In the text that we read on Wednesday night, we saw how the prophets Daniel and Joel prayed on behalf of their communities. It was not an individual thing looking at their own sins. They were looking at the sins of the body of their community. And the truth is that uh, in the New Testament too, Paul tells us we are part of one another, right? Romans 12 verse 5, speaking about the church, God tells us plainly, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is why a few verses later he says, when one person grieves, we all grieve. When one person rejoices, we all rejoice because we're all on the same team. We all affect one another. We sharpen each other, we pray for each other, we encourage each other, we inspire each other. That's what it means to be a part of the body of faith. And I was talking to one deacon leader after the service on Ash Wednesday, and he said, you know, we needed that. We needed that as a church. 
I said, yeah, you know, we, we, we all tend to focus on ourselves individually at the expense of the community. And he said, yeah, but we're a family. And in a family, you have to all pull your weight. You have to all work together. You have to all bring your gifts to the table and say, let's do this together for the good of our body, corporately. We need everyone to bring their gifts to the table and say, let's do this together. Let's move into the next season that God has for us with faith and with confidence. The community of Israel, this, this precious family of faith that God had formed from Abraham's descendants, these people that the Lord had called to be separate from the world in order to be a difference in the world, they're the community that Deuteronomy is addressing. They're the community that is, is poised to enter the promised land. So let's just set the scene quickly before we jump into our text for today. The Israelites, you know, have, have, they were delivered from Egypt miraculously uh, with the, the ten plagues and then the, the armies pursuing them and then the, the waves crash in on them and they go to Mount Sinai, right? And on Mount Sinai, what happens? Moses goes up the mountain and, and God shows up. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the law. He, he spells out what the community of faith should look like. Why? Why is God doing this? Because he's concerned that he wants to make his people holy and set apart in order to be the conduit of blessing through which the whole world will be blessed. It's not so they can just be good and go to heaven. It's so they will be set apart for his purposes, consecrated for God's mission of bringing blessing to all peoples of the earth. That's why he gave them the law at Mount Sinai. So then, you know, they have some, some, some hang-ups. You know, they build the golden calf, and, and they start worshiping the golden calf. And, but eventually, the Lord leads them after Mount Sinai right to the foot of the promised land. They're right on the southwest kind of corner of the promised land at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And so Moses sends out the 12 spies, right? Numbers chapter 13. He sends out people from each, leaders from each tribe of Israel to go spy on Canaan and see what it's like. And they go and they find out, of course, it's just like God said it would be. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's a prosperous land with fertile soil. It's a good land. And then they bring back a single crust cluster of grapes that's so big that two guys have to carry it on a pole. And they, they see also, however, that the people who dwell there are big that they're, they're warriors, that they're mighty people with fortified cities, and, and, and 10 of the spies start freaking out about it. We know that 10 of them are convinced that to conquer the land of Canaan would be an exercise in futility. Let's look at Numbers chapter 13. It'll be on the screen here. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27 says, And they, the spies, told him, Moses, we came to the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Look at these grapes. They're huge. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. They thought that this, these were like half-God people. Only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, have the minority report, right? They have the kind of radical faith that says, if God's told us to go in here, then we should go in here. It won't be a problem. They obey in the face of adversity because of their faith and their trust that God will do what he says he'll do. Verse 30, chapter 13 says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, 
let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with them said, no, 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 we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Well, what is the strength of people compared to the strength of our God who goes before us and fights for us, right? That's what Caleb and Joshua are saying. Why do we have to be scared of strong people? They're just people. We have Yahweh Sabaoth, right? The Lord of the angel armies, the one who commands the host of heaven to go before him and to do his bidding. No one can overcome our God, and if he is with us, then who can be against us? But the rest of the people allow fear to win. Look at the next verse, verse 31. So they brought, the other spies brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. Can you imagine this? They're saying that God's good promised land is not in fact good, that it's bad. That's a lie. That's a lie. For them to call what God prepared for his people as a good promised land, for them to call it bad, is a lie. They give this bad report saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. This is one of the saddest parts really in the whole Bible. God's people have been delivered from the bondage and chains of slavery through great miracles of the Lord time and time again in Egypt only to come now to the wilderness and desire to go back into bondage. They say, let's pick a leader and just go, let's fire Moses. He's not going the way we want to go. We want to go back to Egypt where we get three squares a day. Isn't that sad? It breaks God's heart. And it breaks people who love God's hearts as well. Look at Numbers 14, next chapter, verse 6. Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, were among those who had spied out the land, and they tore their clothes. They're grieved. They're broken. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land, just as God said it was. It's not a bad land. It's a good land where God wants to take us. If the Lord delights in us, and he does... He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. It never ends well. Don't do it. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. I love that. They're just bread. You just squash them. You ever put bread in the bottom of your grocery cart on accident? That's what he's talking about. How did the people react to this? They say, oh, cool, let's do it. No, look at verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. These guys are nuts. Let's kill them. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting. Oh, that the glory of the Lord would, would show up to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said, listen to his grief. He said to Moses, how long will, will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? It's sad, isn't it? You can hear the grief in the father's voice that his children refuse to believe that he is, in fact, a good, good father. This is the key for understanding the whole book of Deuteronomy, okay? This is from Numbers, but it really sets it up. 
At this point, on the plains of Moab, the people of God are looking across the water at the promised land. They're preparing to go in it. At this point, they've been wandering for 40 years in the desert, and now they're on the cusp once again of, just like they were at Kadesh Barnea, they're once again about to go in the promised land. And out of all the Israelite population that came out of Egypt, which is probably two and a half million, some scholars think, out of all that population, only two would be allowed to enter the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Not even Moses would get to go in, right? And this is Moses' farewell address. These are his last words to the people of God because he knows he's about to die. He's not going to be allowed to enter into the promised land. So these are urgent words, the last thing that Moses ever says here in the book of Deuteronomy. He starts out by recapping their journey ever since they left Egypt. Look at chapter 1 now, our text, verse 19. So he's telling them, then we set out from Horeb, Mount Horeb, and we all went through that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites. That's where Kadesh Barnea is. As the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you've come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord is giving us. They're on the cusp of the promised land. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up. Take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Once again, the people of God are in the same spot they were 40 years ago. They're on the, the, the precipice of going into this promised land. Would they blow it like their parents' generation did? Or would they succeed in having faith to follow God's will into the abundant thriving, flourishing, good, exceedingly good land that God has for them? Which one would they do? We know the answer is found in the book of Joshua. But the Lord gives them this important commandment. Do not fear. That's the key. Moses told the people to go in the, the, the good land that God's given them. All that is required of them is just to trust that God can do what he says he can do. That God will, in fact, make the, the people of Canaan to be as bread before them that will just be squashed in their path because the Lord of angel armies goes before them. But the Israelites weren't having it. Look at verse 22. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again by the, of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The things seemed good to me, and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Moses is recalling these events that we just read from, from Numbers 13 and 14. It's a good land that God's giving them. It's right across the water now. All they have to do is go up and take it. Would they? We'll see. Despite this great report in, of the spies, the people gathered at Kadesh Barnea did not go up. Verse 26, yet you would not go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt. The Lord has hated us, really? To give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we are. 
The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of the Anakim there. How does rebellion begin? It says here in the text that the people were murmuring in their tents. It begins with a little murmuring. Richard and I were talking in the hallway and someone came up and said, hey, no whispering in the hallway. <laughs> you ever seen murmuring after a deacon's meeting? <laughs> you ever seen murmuring in a Sunday school classroom? It, it just destroys a church sometimes, doesn't it? Little murmuring in secret. These people were gathered in their tents and they were murmuring. And rebellion begins really with this unbelief. The murmuring was sowing the seeds of unbelief. God doesn't love us. He hates us. He's trying to kill us. That's what they were murmuring to each other. You know what good comes from murmuring in secret, right? Absolutely nothing. Then they say that, that God must really hate them. Is God ever motivated by hate? God is what? Agape love. His essence, his being is love. It's, un, it's against nature to hate us. He's incapable of that feeling towards us. He does abhor sin. We know that because he's holy and good. But he loves us always. He's not trying to de destroy us. He's trying to make us flourish and thrive. But they're afraid. It says that their hearts melted, right? When they heard this report of the, the good land, they hear that the odds of success are got to be small, so their hearts melt, it says. According to the military experts of Israel, there was no way they could possibly defeat the armies of Canaan. Remember that Joshua and Caleb said though those guys were just bread for the Israelites. They don't need to be afraid of them, but just to see them as God sees them. Just little puny enemies to be squashed. But Moses tries to remind them of this situation, the reality. Look at verse 29. So then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that promise is true for you today? Just as he fought for you in Egypt before your eyes, you saw him do this. What makes you think he won't do it again? Where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. God doesn't hate you. Maybe today you feel like, God must hate me. My life is so hard. I know you all have your baggage here today. I know we all have our issues. We all have our hurts and habits and hang-ups, right, as, as Celebrate Recovery teaches us. I know that. But it's not because God hates you. In fact, God has been carrying you through all of your hurts, habits, and hang-ups as a father carries his little son. What a precious, tender image that is. I know we have lots of couples in our, in our church and of mine and in my own family too that have struggled with infertility, so I want to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, sensitive to that this morning, but let me show you a couple pictures of a father holding his son, okay? This is me a few minutes after my firstborn son was born. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? It's a powerful moment in my life. The, the, the pride and the joy and the tenderness, all I was thinking was, don't drop him, <laughs> right? The fear of that first baby, too. The, the precious, tender life of a child. Look at the next one. This is me holding him when he was a, a month old or so. You see just the, the joy and the pride on a dad's face. And then me holding Isaiah here, crossing the street, downtown Franklin, as carefully as I can, when Isaiah was a few weeks old, 
going across the street in downtown Franklin. The father carries the son preciously, gently, cautiously, carefully, lovingly. The point isn't that, you know, I'm a, a dad and feel pride. The point is that God is a good father who carries you like this, who, who ushers you across the streets of life with care and tenderness and gentleness because he loves you as a precious father. I know some of you don't have a great father figure to think of, and I understand that that's a tough metaphor for you, but our God is not a human father. Our God is a perfect, loving Father. Let's keep reading. Verse 32. In spite of this word, the word that God carries you like a father carries his son, you still didn't believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents. In fire, he led you by night, and in cloud, he led you by day, miraculously to show you by what way you should go. You didn't believe, is what Moses is saying, you didn't believe that God actually would in fact continue to carry you and bring you into something good that he's prepared for you. You know, we, we all tend to wallow in self-pity, don't we? We get caught in our hurts and habits and hang-ups and we say, poor me, poor me, my life is so hard, God must be against me. If only we would see that God is carrying us. And we wouldn't wallow in self-pity, but see that the Lord has riched us, has blessed us so richly. Indeed, then we would be able to live the way that God wants us to live, to follow his lead in our lives. You know, rebellion is based in unbelief. Rebellion against God is based in unbelief. The people rebelled against God's command to go into the promised land and conquer it because they didn't believe that he could do it again. And rebellion has consequences, doesn't it? Look at verse 34. The Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account, this is Moses talking, and said, you also shall not go in there. Joshua, son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, Moses, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it as a leader. And as for your little ones, who you said would become prey to the wild animals in the wilderness, your children, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they will get it. They will go in to the promised land, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. As for you, turn back from Kadesh Barnea and go right back into the wilderness. Journey, walk around wandering aimlessly without direction, without purpose, towards the Red Sea for 40 more years. God says that only the faithful will be able to follow. Your children who you thought would die out here, they're going to get it too. But the rest of you are going to wander. You're not going to flourish for the next 40 years because you would not obey my commandment to go into the land that I'm giving you. I think you probably already see the obvious connections both individually and corporately for us here this morning, but let me close with these, try to uh, condense some application for you. I see four keys here in this text that will help us apply Deuteronomy in highly 
relevant and powerful ways in our own lives today. The four keys are A, B, C, D, okay? This is what preachers do when we get little devices, right? First, admit that you've been wandering. Admit your hurts and habits and hang-ups, right? Admit that you have lacked for purpose and direction. Admit that, that you long to go into the promised land. Admit that you've not been in the promised land. That's our first step, is to say that, to be honest and tell the truth about the deserts of our lives where we've been wandering aimlessly. Only then can we move forward with purpose and the thriving that God longs to give us in the direction that he has for us to go in the promised land. So first, admit you've been wandering. Second, believe that God actually has something good for you to go in. Some of you today don't believe that. Some of you today don't believe that God could really love you and carry you as a precious son or daughter into the, the good thing that he has for you. Maybe you only see bad in your future. God wants you to thrive. He wants you to flourish where you are. It won't be easy. It'll be scary. There are warriors in your way. But they are but bread, right? So believe that God has something good for you to go in. That's the B. Then the C, this is the bread part. Consider the obstacles that lie between you and that good thing as bread. Just squash that wonder bread as you walk into what God has for you in that good land that he has prepared for you to go into. Admit you've been wandering. Believe that God has something good for you. Consider the obstacles as but bread. And finally, decide to act on it. This is where the fear of following gets in our way. So many of us are rendered actionless because of fear. It prevents us from moving in the direction that God wants us to go. This morning, my prayer is that we would all decide this morning to move into the promised land together. That whatever promises God has out there, you would decide to follow into them today. Do not fear. Do not fear. The obstacles in our way are but bread. Admit our wanderings, believe that God's got something good for us, consider the obstacles as bread, and then decide to follow. Decide to follow and live into what God has for you. Like I said, it's, it, it could be scary to move into what God has for you in this next season, but it's the only way to truly flourish. It's the only way to truly thrive. Where are you tempted to rebel in your life today? What's holding you back from moving into that good land that God has for you? What obstacles are scary to you this morning? What are the warriors that lie in your path today? Let's decide today to choose the promised land. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that you have miraculously guided Woodmont Baptist Church for over 75 years now. Nothing would be accomplished good here if it wasn't for you having gone before us. You, the God who is the host of heaven, who commands the angel armies. God, we thank you for the way you've guided us thus far. Help us to not neglect that and to remember that we trust you moving forward into the next season of our church's life. Today, God, I pray that you would help us to, to see ourselves on the cusp of the good promised land. And that we would be brave moving into it. You would help us to get over the fear of following you. Forgive our melted hearts. Make them brave again for you.
May we consider the obstacles that lie before us as but bread as we trample over them into the good things that you have for us. God, we know it's all because of your son, Jesus Christ, that we are able to pray this prayer, that he has paid the debt that we could not pay for ourselves, that you loved us so much that you sent him to become death for us on a cross. I pray this morning you would let the the gospel truth permeate our hearts in a way that makes us brave, that makes us say, because of what the Lord has done for us, we will attempt great things for God. We love you this morning, God. We pray all this in the high and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation now as we sing our hymn of invitation to speak to my heart. What is it that your heart needs to hear from God today? Where is it that your heart needs to be strengthened? Where is it that your heart needs to be made brave today? Whatever it is, if you want to come pray with me about it, that's fine. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ for the first time and you need to follow Him for the first time as your Lord and Savior. I'd love to talk with you about becoming a Christian this morning. Maybe you've done that, but you've never been baptized. We have a really great baptismal. We have one scheduled in April coming up. We'd love to to talk to you about being baptized as well. Whatever decision it is, maybe you need a church family to join. We would love to have you here at Woodmont as part of our church family. Whatever it is that, that you need to decide this morning, this is the time to do that now. Let's stand and sing.